0: You're listening to The Voice of Dog. I'm Kaki, your faithful Fireside Companion, and today's story is Endless Winter by J.S. Hawthorne, whose work can be found in The Book of Legends, an Ironclaw anthology by Sanguine Games, and in the forthcoming Found Footage, a horror anthology by Thurston Howell Publications. Check out her Twitter, at J.S. Hawthorne 3, for updates on where her stories can be found. Please enjoy... Endless Winter by J.S. Hawthorne Carrie, wait up! The hare's voice echoed through the snowy wasteland. Kerialyn, the raccoon, stood atop a long ridge, ankle-deep in snow. She leaned against the gnarled hazelwood staff, squinting into the chill wind blowing off of the mountains. Her ear twitched as the call echoed, but she did not turn. Snow floated down, barely enough to be considered a flurry settling on the cloak made from the scaly white hide of some far northern beast she wore. Moore dusted her long brown hair, pulled back at the base of her neck with a simple leather cord. Trudging through the deep snow, the hare, tayley tugged on the reins of their pack-beast, a black and yellow lizard as tall at the shoulder as Taly was, and noticeably taller than Kerry. The hare wore the same style of long cloak, hood pulled up against the chill, shadows hiding everything but her ruby-red eyes. Where Carrie was dark-furred and, even in the cloak, stood out against the omnipresent snow, Taylor was nearly invisible, white fur blending in with white gloves and tunic, and even the silver and steel flash of the sword she wore at her hip. "'Carrie!' Taylor called again, stopping at the bottom of the ridge and looking up. Carrie's long tail lashed at the snow several times before she turned. "'Would you wait up?' Their eyes met, and Taylor was once again struck by Carrie's beauty. The raccoon was fastidious about her grooming, and her fur and hair were brushed until they nearly shined. She was lithe, but a little heavier than Taylor in Hare's opinion, the perfect body. But more than anything, Taylor had fallen in love with Carrie's eyes. When they had first met, years before the endless winter had begun to blanket the land in snow and ice, Carrie had had deep brown eyes and, liquid and full of emotion. They were the sort of eyes that one could fall into. Her left eye remained the same, but since she had graduated from the academy, a brilliant ring of orange light had surrounded her right iris like the corona of a solar eclipse. If Taylor had fallen in love before, it was a schoolyard crush. After, it was the inevitable rush of tides washing her away in Kerry's depthless, burning gaze. Carrie waited at the top of the ridge, leaning on her staff, as Taylor led the beast up. By the time the hare was halfway up, she was panting as though she'd run a mile. Carrie, to Taylor's satisfaction, had the grace to look mildly ashamed of herself. Sorry, Carrie said, reaching out a hand to help Taylor the last few steps. How's the baby? Unconsciously, Taylor pressed a hand against the bulge of her stomach, feeling the small, fragile life growing there. He's fine, Taylor said, smiling faintly. We're both fine. You just need to slow down a little, okay? Carrie sighed. We should have stayed in second refuge until he was born. Taylor intertwined her fingers with Carrie's and gave her hand a soft squeeze. I don't want to wait, Carrie. I don't want him to be born to this. She waved her free hand over the snowy forest. It had been two years since the snows had started to fall. Two years of hard, Unyielding winter. Only magic kept crops growing, and food was getting scarce across the realm. Two monarchs and a republic had risen and fell in that time, and if nothing stopped the snows, more would follow. He deserves a land of sunlight. Kerry smiled, her expression softening as it always did when she listened to Tayley talk about the future. But still, she could not let the argument go. Someone else could solve it. It doesn't have to be us. By which you mean it doesn't have to be me? Taylor said shrewdly. She took a step closer to Carrie, close enough to feel the warmth of her body. But why shouldn't it be us? Carrie knew she had lost the argument, but she knew she had lost it before Taylor had opened her mouth. She released Taylor's hand and fell into a hug, her head resting on the hair's shoulder. Their arms wrapped around each other, and soon all the world was circumscribed by their cloaks. Outside might be endless snow and unceasing winter, but that did not matter to them and to the tiny life that Taly was nurturing. When they finally broke apart, the sun had jumped five degrees closer to the horizon. They both blushed, though no one was around to see them beyond the pack beast, which paid them little attention. Instead, it was snuffling through the snow, foraging for any tender grass that had managed to grow beneath. "'How much farther is it?' Taly asked. The top of the ridge at which they stood overlooked yet more forest and a clear mountain lake. "'Not far,' said Kerry, pointing with the tip of her staff across the lake. "'We can rest for the night soon, then reach the old temple tomorrow afternoon, I think. Can you manage another few hours walking?' "'I think so,' Taylor said, holding her hand out. "'If you don't run off again.' With a wry chuckle, Kerry took the offered hand and led the way down the far side of the ridge. They walked in silence for some time, not just their own, but the silence of a world blanketed by snow. At the bottom of the ridge, where the trees grew crowded and close together, sound returned to the world. Birds chirped and squawked and complained about a year with no spring or summer, small woodland animals scampered across boughs and their footsteps cracked against the forest floor. Soon their voices returned to them as well, and they talked, discussing their hopes and fears, the coming child... And what would the world look like when the winter finally cleared away? Will we even still recognize it? Taylee asked, to Carrie's teasing laughter. They camped on the shores of the lake. Despite the perpetual winter chill, some underground thermal heated the water just enough to prevent ice from forming more than paper-thin flows. Life still flourished in the lake, and Taylee fished a couple of fat mountain char for Carrie, while the raccoon foraged through the trees for whatever edibles she could find. In the end, they settled around a small campfire with a feast of berries and nuts, willow bark, and fish. Terry even ate some of the char at Carrie's insistence. She found the taste and texture unpleasant, but even she recognized that raspberries and bark could only go so far. The snow stopped at about the same time that the last rays of the sun vanished into the night. While Taly laid out their quilted bedroll, much more pleasant to share on top of the added warmth, Carrie walked a wide circle around their campfire, scattering the leftover seeds from their dinner as she muttered spells. In her footsteps, the snow melted away, replaced with the first few shoots of new growth. By the time she finished her circle, the first seeds she had planted had sprouted into knee-high plants still growing. Carrie stepped back into the circle, the warmth of the campfire enhanced and rebounded by the circle of magic. With a satisfied smile, she watched as the plants grew into a stubby hedge of blackberry, raspberry, hazel, and hawthorn, all mixed together. The hedge stopped just shy of her shoulder, though it might gain another inch or two overnight. The magic would fade over time, and eventually the plants, coerced to grow and intertwine, would start to compete for the thin resources of this wintry world. But even then, enough power would remain in the soil to keep the strongest of the plants alive for years, if need be. When Carrie pulled off her cloak and boots to slide into the bedroll with Taylor, the clouds had cleared, giving both women a broad and starry sky under which to sleep. The crescent moon hung low, just brushing the tops of the trees as it prepared to set itself. "'You're doing?' Taylor asked as Carrie nestled in against her shoulder. Taylor no longer felt comfortable sleeping anyway but on her back, owing to the baby, but she did not mind the way she had become Carrie's pillow. No, just serendipity, Kerry responded, relaxing into Taylor's arms. One of Kerry's hands drifted over Taylor's bare stomach, resting comfortably on the bulge of the child inside her. Can we do it, do you think? Bring the warmth back? If that's what you want, my heart, Kerry murmured, her eyes already closed. She felt cold against Taley, who reflexively hugged the raccoon a little closer. It was, she knew, a side effect of the magic she had spent creating the hedge that shielded them from prying eyes, and would provide food and shelter for any other travellers passing their way. She had, over the past year, created dozens, perhaps hundreds, of hedges just like this one, stretching from town to town. Taylor worried at the toll it was taking on Kerry. Certainly the glow of the raccoon's eye had more fire than it used to, but who knew if that was related? She wouldn't say anything, not unless the side effects were more severe than a chill that caused her raccoon to press close in the night. Carrie would stop, certainly, out of respect for Taylor's concerns, but the good the hedges did and the pride that Carrie felt in creating them outweighed those concerns. That, at least, is what Taylor told herself as she held Carrie close and the two drifted off to a peaceful sleep. Taylor woke to snow falling on her face, It melted swiftly in the enchanted ring that Carrie had created, but the hedge, now as tall as the raccoon, was already covered in a clear inch of powder. Carrie had barely moved all night, but had warmed up significantly. Taylor told herself, as she did every morning, that Carrie was as warm as she had been the previous morning, and every morning before that. She told herself that Carrie didn't feel just a hair colder, like she was no longer warming all the way up. They never talked in the mornings. While Taylor packed up their belongings, Carrie checked the spell she had cast the night before, and also picked food from the new-grown plants to eat on their walk. It was not an uncomfortable silence, but one born out of a deep understanding of each other, and a love that transcended words. They set off as soon as the one sun poked over the trees, barely visible as a faint glow behind the endless storm clouds, with her sword, Taylor cut a hole in the hedge big enough for them to step through and back into the cold of the endless winter. Carrie pointed their way north along the edge of the lake, heading into the rough foothills surrounding the highland mountains. Snow flurried on and off all morning, and a chill breeze blew down on them from the mountaintop. They were both shivering by the time they stopped for lunch, and Taylor did not immediately realize something was wrong. They ate in a quiet, punctuated only by gusts of wind or the soft crack of ice from the lake, huddled together next to the small fire that Taly had built. The silence weighed on Taly. This was not the companionable stillness of their earlier walk, but a pregnant emptiness full of a meaning she didn't quite grasp. Still, it wasn't until they had stood and were moving again that Taly understood that Kerry was flagging. The raccoon leaned heavily on her staff, cloak pulled tight and hood down, she struggled to wade through the deep snowdrifts, dragging her feet. Carrie? Taylor asked. Carrie turned to respond, missed her step, and sprawled face first into a snowbank. Dropping the reins of the pack beast, Taylor bounded over, kneeling in the ice and slush and helping Carrie into a sitting position. The raccoon was shivering violently. Something's wrong, Carrie murmured. Broken. What? Taylor asked, fighting off panic. Carrie shook her head. Because of the magic yesterday? Must be, Kerry managed, though her teeth were chattering so badly that Taylor could barely understand it. What do I do? Taylor asked. She had no magical skill herself, and her knowledge of Magecraft was limited to what Kerry and a handful of other friends had taught her. Warm, was all that Kerry could force out. The raccoon curled up into a ball in her cloak, still shivering. Taylor brought the pack beast around, and carefully hefted Kerry onto its broad, warm back. She then went to work, clearing a small camp of snow and building a roaring hot fire, sacrificing some of their stockpiled wood to avoid wasting time to forage. Once the fire was going on its own, she brought the pack beast over. It laid down obligingly, bringing Kerry within the warming radius of the flames. It was an hour during which Taly made Kerry tea and broth and huddled with her in the shelter of the pack beast, before Carrie was sufficiently recovered to talk again. It's like there's a block, she murmured into Taylor's shoulder. She no longer shivered, but she still felt unnaturally cool to the touch. I couldn't draw any magic from the earth or the sun, so I've been drawing from me. And now you have nothing left? Kerry nodded. I shouldn't have let you create all those campsites. You should have told me. I didn't realize, Kerry protested. I swear to you, on my life and magic, Taylor, I didn't know. I would have done something to fix it before if I'd realized. Privately, Taylor thought that Kerry's life and magic were both in distressingly short supply. Okay, so how do we fix it now? Kerry was quiet for so long that Taylor began to worry that the raccoon had fallen unconscious. Taylor was just on the verge of shaking when Kerry spoke. The Law of Summer. Taylor's breath caught in her throat. They had been hunting for the Law of Summer for three months, a sacred and powerful talisman, Kerry had explained that it could be used to push back the endless winter, to blow away the snows and restore the cycle of the year. "'You mean—' Kerry nodded, her eyes closed. "'I think so.' She had told Taylor that they were looking for an old temple, an ancient place of power, that might have a piece of the puzzle before them. She had not, however, said it might be the whole key. "'I'm sorry—' "'Why didn't you say anything?' I might have been wrong. She opened her eyes, and Taylor was alarmed to see the corona of fire was dim and flickering in Carrie's right eye. I might still be wrong. Is there another option? Carrie hesitated, then shook her head. Not now. Taley, my love, I'm sorry. She started to say more, but Taylor stopped her with a kiss and let it linger, holding Carrie close to her. She tried to let some of her warmth fill the raccoon, to keep her safe and alive. She did let Kerry know, wordlessly, that no apology was necessary. "'I'll be back as soon as I can,' Taylor told the raccoon when they finally parted. "'Try to drink more of the tea. Try not to move if you can help it.' She squeezed Kerry's hand, and Kerry responded with a soft smile. Taylor did not linger, not willing to chance spending any more of Kerry's time on her reluctance to leave.' she moved as swiftly as caution would allow. She could afford no accidents. A misstep, perhaps a headlong tumble into the dark waters of the half-frozen lake, would mean more than her life. It seemed beyond hope that Kerry might mount a rescue in the state she was in. "'Just you and me, little one,' she murmured, as she passed out of sight of the camp, one hand resting on her stomach. Her other rested on the pommel of her sword.' The temple ruins sat at the base of two mountains, less than an hour's hike from where Taly had left Kerry. It was in two parts, a ramshackle courtyard that had poorly weathered centuries of elements and a forbidding ziggurat that appeared as immobile and immutable as the mountains around it. Taylor had no problems climbing over the ruins of the courtyard. The passage of ancient years had worn the fallen statues and masonry smooth, and the mountain cover kept the snows at bay. The temple's interior was pitch black, Taly fished a small glass jar filled with moon water and whispered the name of her one true love to it. Instantly, it blazed to life with an orange light the same colour as Carrie's corona. Holding the bottle aloft in her offhand, Taylor drew her sword and inched into the ageless pyramid. The air inside was stale and smelled of dead moss and cold stone. The floor was slick with lichen and ghost grass that had managed to cling to what little life and light was available inside the temple. Huge ceremonial rooms sat just off the main hallway, but Taylor ignored those. Her prize would be in the central chamber of the ziggurat, and she refused to be distracted. She had just reached a set of interior doors twice as tall as she was when she heard the voice. It sounded like her father, someone she hadn't thought of in years, And the force of it caused the light of the moon water to flicker like a candle. Little hare, what dost thou seek here? Who are you? Taylor demanded, spinning in place to attempt to locate the sound of the voice. It seemed to resonate through the stones themselves. I am the voice of the ancients. What dost thou seek in these, our hallowed walls? Taylor swallowed. I seek the law of summer. Such a prize is not for the asking, O mortal! Art thou prepared for the trials that thou needs face? I am. Wherefore dost thou seek the law? To save our world? No. I will ask thee only twice more. The voice rumbled into silence like a passing thunderstorm. Heart pounding, Taly stood in silence, staring into the darkness beyond the light of her moon water. She screamed when the doors behind her opened with an earthquake rumble, jumping and spinning, soared up and shaking in her hand. Beyond the door was a huge amphitheatre, filled with raised seats surrounding a circular sand pit. As she watched, torches blazed to life with eerie blue and purple flames, flooding the amphitheatre with flickering shadows. Taylor kissed the bottle of moon water to extinguish the light, and slid it back into her pocket before she strode onward, head high and soared out. The flickering torch shadows seemed to fill the seats like an audience, a thousand amorphous shades all watching her descend to the pit. She ignored them and the creeping feeling of being watched. "'Now what?' she called when she had reached the sandy stage below. In answer to her challenge, the entire temple rumbled, the ground bucking beneath her feet. The sand rose into a pillar ten feet tall. A mouth formed first, opening into a gaping maw that roared while the sand fell away, revealing a figure like a horse made of the amphitheatre itself. It held an axe as big as Tailie, with a blade formed of fire. The horse's eyes were a glowing black obsidian. The sand horse swept the axe up and then brought it down over its head, missing Tailie's stomach by inches. My baby, Tailie shouted, bringing her own sword so small and pitiful in comparison to the guardian, up in a defensive posture. The guardian paused, glowering down at her, snuffling at the air. The child is an innocent, it said, in the voice of her father. Thou hast our word that no harm shall befall it, through our actions or inactions. What good is your word? demanded Taly, still holding her sword up. You attack me without provocation. Thou hast sought the treasure hidden within this sacred temple, with intention unknown, and proffer excuses and obfuscation. By our laws thou hast provoked the triple guardians, and must bypass each turn thou and retreat, we will not stop thee. Taylor thought of Kerry. I can't. The horse hefted the axe once again. Then thou needs best me to proceed further. Without any additional warning, it swung down, nearly splitting Taly in half. She slid out of the way at the last moment, feeling the heat of the fiery blade as it whistled past her whiskers. She whipped her sword around and into the horse's knee as she ducked past it, a strike that would have hamstrung a mortal opponent. The horse stumbled and growled loud enough to shake the amphitheater, but did not fall. The axe fell and struck the ground where Taylor's foot had been less than a moment before, sending up a spray of sand as she dashed forward, driving her blade deep into the horse's stomach. Again it snarled at her, but it did not bleed and would not die. The third strike caught her in the arm, cutting through her cloak and the padded leather of her armor, drawing a thick line of blood. She spun with the strike, bringing the side of her blade up into the horse's stomach. It passed through with a shower of sand as Taylee rolled forward with the momentum of her attack. The horse bellowed and turned, its massive hooves slamming down on the pit in small explosions of sand. Taylee held her ground as the creature advanced. Sword held steady in front of her. It raised its axe over its head, mouth open in a noisome roar, prepared to split her in half. She let the point of her blade drop as she stepped smoothly inside the horse's reach, then struck upward as the axe crashed down behind her. Her sword bit deep into the horse's side, just under what would have been the ribcage on a creature of flesh and blood. She met no resistance, her weapon sliding smoothly through the creature and exiting its body where shoulder met neck. The horse howled and then exploded into a whirlwind around her. She covered her face with her arm, eyes closed tight against the stinging barrage. When she opened them, the amphitheater was empty and quiet. The strange torches burned low. Now what? she repeated. In response, a circular section of the floor melted down, revealing a staircase leading into the darkness below. Blue and purple flames popped into existence along the stairs, illuminating the way downward. "'Wherefore dost thou seek the law?' the voice of the temple echoed from the depths. "'To save everything!' Taylor shouted. "'No!' the temple responded. "'We will ask thee, but once more.' In the ringing silence that followed, Taylor glared down into the staircase. When the temple did not react, she began to follow the stairs downward. They spiralled deep into the earth with no break until Taly was panting for breath, her hand pressed against the cold stone wall to steady herself. She did not know how long she walked, but when she reached the end of the stairs the air was frigid and smelled of earth and the old things that slumber beneath it. The room at the bottom of the stairs was not large and lit fully by a torch in each corner. At the far end from the stairs was a set of massive stone doors, Kaylee, her sword still in her hand, crept closer to the doors. Ancient writing blazed to life against the doors, burning with the same blue-purple fire. I don't speak that language, she called out to the temple. The temple boomed out at her, its voice louder than it had been. Hear this, and speak the password, or return whence thou came. Drawn in light, cold mother, grows, fades, and lives again. "'What a terrible poem,' Tayley said, affronted. "'It doesn't even rhyme.' "'Test not our patience, O mortal,' the temple boomed. "'It is not our doing that thou didst not study the ancient languages. "'In its original form these lyrics would have thee fall to thy knees and weep.' "'Yeah, yeah,' Tayley said. "'Could you please repeat the riddle?' "'Drawn in light, cold mother. "'Grows, fades, and lives again.' Taylor studied the door as she sheathed her sword, though she kept one hand on the pommel. The part about light reminded her of the eerie torches that had lit the interior of the temple, and she spent several fruitless minutes trying to connect the rest of the poem to those torches. "'May I ask you questions about the riddle?' Taylor asked. The temple remained stubbornly silent. "'Fine,' she muttered, releasing her sword to feel the swell of the child growing inside her. She was a mother—' but she didn't think she was cold. Her thoughts drifted to Carrie, who undoubtedly was at risk of freezing, and then it all clicked together. "'The moon!' she shouted. "'The answer is the moon!' She groped at her pouch and the small bottle of moon water inside. That was unnecessary. As soon as she said, "'Moon,' the doors began to swing silently open. Beyond was a circular chamber carved from the living earth itself two pedestals stood in the centre, a respectful distance from each other, atop which floated two identical crystal prisms. Both glowed sun-warm yellow, and heat flowed forth and into the room where Taylor still stood. It was a summer heat, humid and bursting with life, smelling of honeysuckle and rose, tasting of sea-salt air and sun-warmed tomato and eggplant. Taylor stepped into the chamber, hand once again resting on her sword— Sand erupted from the ground, but, instead of a new monster, it resolved into two curving staircases, each one reaching up to the top of one of the pedestals. "'Which one?' she demanded, glancing back and forth between the two crystals. "'Wherefore dost thou seek the law?' the temple asked, its voice soft like a caress. She felt its breath like sweet summer wind on her fur. "'To save—' Taylor started, but her voice caught in her throat.' to save Carrie. The staircase on the left began to crumble back into sand. The temple whispered to her again. Thou will not be able to save thy world if thou choose this path. Can I save my world and my wife simultaneously? Can the other crystal save both? No. Then my choice is easy. The temple made no response as Taylor climbed the staircase on the right. The crystal, the Law of Summer, was barely four inches long, and its sunlight seemed wan and fleeting as she closed her hand around it. The light went out in the other crystal simultaneously. Taylor watched as it sunk into the pedestal, vanishing from sight. She knew, without a doubt, that they would not find any further aid in this place. The law of summer was warm in her hand and provided all of the light she needed to walk back the path she had come. The torches were all extinguished, the shadows gone, the staircase vanished without a sound as soon as her paws touched the sand in the amphitheatre. She hesitated for a moment, wondering if the horse would reappear, but she was left alone. The temple spoke to her one last time as she traversed the hallway to the outside. Taylor of the seaside moors, know this. Thy child will be born in a land of snows, but shall not grow up there. By his first birthday, Thou shalt have had three opportunities to end this winter and restore this world to balance. Will we succeed? That is up to thee, O mortal. But yes, we believe thou shalt. We foresee thy child happy and safe in a world of plenty. Thank you. But there was no response. The sun had dipped almost to the horizon when Tailey reached the surface. She tried to be careful, but her anxiety over being gone from Carrie's side for so long had her dashing across the snow-filled landscape within three strides of the temple's entrance. She reached their camp shortly after sunset. Kerry was nearly frozen to the touch, too cold even to shiver. Without understanding what she was doing or why, Taylor pressed the law of summer against Kerry's chest. The raccoon gasped, her eyes shooting open, her right eye blazed with light, then slowly subsided until just the corona shone, brighter than before, but not by much. "You did it," Carrie asked, staring up at Tayley in awe. Her hand touched her chest. "I can feel it, Tayley, like a sun inside of me." Tayley smiled and pulled Carrie close. "Not quite, I'm afraid," she said when their kiss had ended. She explained what she had seen and what the temple had told her. Carrie was silent for a long time, her body, once again warm in Taylor's grasp, pressed close to the hair. I'm sorry, she said finally. This is my fault. No, you did a good thing, my love. We made the winter a little less cold. She laid Carrie's hand on her belly. Together, we'll still fix this, and he'll grow up in summer. This wasn't the end, Carrie. It's still the beginning. This was... Endless Winter by J.S. Hawthorne, read for you by Kaki, your faithful fireside companion. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a short story you think would be a good fit, please get in touch with me. I'm at Kaki Doggy on Twitter and Telegram, and I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.